Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Tom Brennan will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. All right, it's great to have you here as we continue on through the wonderful book of Acts, probably my favorite book. Uh, I can't say it's my favorite book, but certainly one of my favorites. And uh, we just got through chapter 16, where we learned about the Philippian jailer and how he was converted and all the wonderful things that happened along with that and Paul's ministry and so forth. So Paul is released from prison. And uh, then when we move on from there, we're now going to move into chapter 17. So let's go ahead and uh, pick up right now um, with the continuing story of the Acts of the Apostles. So Acts chapter 17, we're going to start with uh, verses 1 through 15. I'm just going to read the first part here. Uh, And this is uh, preaching Christ at Thessalonica. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, or Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now, um, this was an important port city, about 100 miles and a three-day walk from Philippi. Modern Thessalonica is still a large, thriving city. So it's still there. Well, anyway, in Thessalonica, let's go back to reading, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So Paul went first to the synagogue. So that was what Paul did. He preached Jesus crucified and risen again to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles there. And so Paul and Silas preached there for three weeks, and there were several notable aspects to his presentation of Jesus. So first of all, Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures. The Greek word reasoned is the root for our English word dialogue. So there was an exchange. There were questions. There were answers. There was back and forth. There was this sense of, we're talking about this. There's pushback. There's response. That's what happened. And so Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, and he did this work of explaining. Uh, The word literally means opening. Paul opened the scriptures with clarity and simplicity, according to R. Kent Hughes. And then Paul did the work of demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, giving evidence. uh, In the New American Standard Bible, it says proving, which means to place beside or to set before. The idea is presenting this persuasive evidence to listeners. So Paul emphasized all this in all this, who Jesus is. The Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And what he did for them, suffer and rise from the dead. So Paul goes on this very Christ-centered preaching sermon, and and people are hearing this. This is his ministry. This is the core of his ministry. He preaches Christ, and he says that this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And so this is a huge message. You think, we've had 2,000 years to digest this. To the people who are hearing this, this was all totally brand new. And then it says that some were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks, which were Hellenistic Jews, and leading women joined Paul and Silas. Women are again mentioned as 
prominent disciples on equal footing and standing with the men. So one thing we need to kind of consider here is the fact that what is going on with Christianity is the prevalence of women being part of it, being um, noted, being talked about, being discussed, and actually their names being mentioned in a way that's not just like the mother of somebody. It's really quite quite amazing. It's quite different. So uh, this was going on with the early church. Uh, then we go back to the reading, uh, verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and, and gathering a mob. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, <laughs> it says here, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. And the King James Version of this verse says this, but the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. I love that. Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. So we see right here that uh, these were these were not great guys. These were not people that you would these were not people that were like, you know, upstanding citizens of the community. These were the ruffians. These were these were tough characters who were, you know, who were just up for a up for some kind of um, you know, up for some trouble. And so uh, it says they were moved with envy, the spirit of Cain. So jealousy is the motivating factor, is the motivating factor again and again here in the book of Acts. Envy and envy again. So it says that um, that they this, this, uh, the the mob they set all the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to all the people. And uh, so moving on from there, uh, verse six. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason. And some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So what do we have right going on right here is that Jason was a disciple in Thessalonica, and he hosted Paul and Silas. And it seems clear that his home was some type of a headquarters, some place, a gathering place. And it's here that the charge against Paul and Silas is, those who've turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, this is a sideways compliment that is declaring that they've turned the world upside down. So when accusing these Christians before the rulers of the city, uh, they give them this compliment and they complain that Christians were these who have turned the world upside down and come here to say these men have radically impacted our world and nothing seems the same. What has happened is they have impacted culture. What has happened is they have made things different. Uh, I used to go to a church up in Watertown and I, my friend Kurt Gilchrist used to say that he wanted to win the county, Jefferson County, to Christ. And in a very effective way, they have done that. They've done quite a bit by getting involved in the community. And so that's what we want to do. We want to have an impact on our world. So they're not only accused of upsetting the apple cart and saying things that were disturbing, but they are now further accused of acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And this got the crowd very suspicious and troubled. And they were not altogether wrong. As Christians began to use a phrase that was inflammatory in that time. Kaiser Curios was the phrase commonly used and meant Caesar is Lord. So when you'd beat someone, you'd say, Kaiser Curios. And this meant Caesar is Lord. And this was a common phrase, perhaps equivalent to a Heil Hitler in Nazi Germany. Same kind of thing. It wasn't, 
you know, it's just something you said to show to show fealty to the government. And and Christ, uh, Christos Curious is the phrase that Christians began to use. Jesus is Lord. So Kaiser Curios, Christos Curious, and they sounded similar. So it be, they began to use this. So Jesus is Lord. This was seen as a clear challenge to the authority of Caesar and was perceived as insubordinate. Countercultural, rebellious, and non-compliant. So you could see how the similarity of the phrase uh, became probably something of almost like a, uh, you know, a purposeful um, declaration. So their fears were unfounded, though. The fears of the people were unfounded. So even though the gospel has definite political implications, it makes Christians better citizens than before. We're told to be good citizens and to obey uh, the rulers and those in authority. And so their prayers, uh, the Christians' prayers for officials and government are more helpful than most people imagine. So even the unfounded accusation of political revolution that had a compliment hidden inside um, when the evil men from the marketplace understood Christians taught that Jesus was a king, that he had the right to rule over his people. This is a message that seems to be missed on many churchgoers today. So, the um, yeah, the whole thought that Jesus is a king, and it was understood this is what was being preached. This is the this is the um, the criticism that is made, and today we could use with some more of that thought of Jesus being the king. We should we could hear more of that in our churches. Uh, and that may be for this, uh, this is from Richard Long, Longenecker, and it may be for this reason that Paul avoided the use of kingdom and king in his letters to his converts, lest Gentile imperial authorities misconstrue them to connote opposition to the empire and emperor. And that's uh, well considered. Paul was uh, wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove in that sense. So Jason and the brothers had to post bail or take in security. There are times that associating ourselves with Jesus and the church will cost us financially, physically, and emotionally. And uh, in general, Roman officials did not care what people believed. They weren't too worried about it. They just wanted peace. And when things got out of hand, when there was riots, then the heavy hand of Rome came down and people would be crucified and arrested and what else went on with it. Very often it was crucifixion. It was easy to do that and it got people to, uh, to calm down. So we see that right there. Uh, moving on from there, then we see that they were ministering at Berea. So uh, verse 10, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So they left quickly, not wanting to bring more persecution on the Christians there or jeopardize Jason's security deposit. Uh, Paul spent only a few weeks in Thessalonica and it seems he wished he could have taught them more. He decided to teach them more in a written letter, and many believe that First Thessalonians was his first letter written to a congregation. And then we move on uh, in verse 10. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks prominent women as well as men. So the Bereans heard the teaching of the most famous apostle and, the, apostle and theologian of the early church and the human author of at least 13 New Testament books, and yet they searched the scripture when Paul taught to see if his teaching was truly biblical. They would not accept Paul's teaching without checking for themselves so they could know if these things were so. So they went back to the scriptures. They read them. They actually were skeptical in the sense of, well, let's find out if what he's saying is right. They searched the scriptures. And that is what we are to do. We're supposed to listen to things, listen to preaching, listen to um, people that would that would say, thus saith the Lord, and compare it with scripture and see if it really lines up. Uh, verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. 
And so the stirring up the crowds is being done today on many college campuses, most college campuses. If, cons- if conservatives, Christians, Republicans, or anybody else that opposes the current politics is scheduled to speak, they are often shut down. In silence by crowds, the events are often canceled, rescheduled, rescheduled or moved to a different location where fewer will attend. So this still goes on today. Uh, verse 14, then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with all speed, they departed. So now we see that they immediately the brethren sent Paul away. They wanted to keep him safe. The Christians of Berea sent him away, fearing for his life, and they sent him to Athens. And a total disruption of the work was going on um, here and there, so they wanted to keep Paul out of there. So there was this constant sense of moving from one place to another. Um, and the fact that both Paul, Silas and Timothy remained there showed, again, that Paul had a passion for planting churches, not just making converse. It also showed that Paul didn't believe that he alone could do the work of teaching and strengthening Christians. Men like Silas and Timothy also could. So we're going to stop there. We'll pick up next time and talk about Paul at Athens. Thanks for listening to Bible Wire. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.